Sherilyn. Hannah, how the heck are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Uh, I'm hanging in there in these strange COVID times. I reconnected with an old friend, which was kind of fun. What? You have another friend? <laughs> everyone hello and welcome to the show we live in a film society it's a show about movies and the meaning we give them it's hannah i, sh- I shouldn't have said and that's name. sherilyn <laughs> <laughs> that's hannah this is sherilyn <laughs> hannah what movie are we talking about today we're talking about hereditary Ooh, spooksville 3000 Okay, so we're talking about Hereditary, and we're talking about the meaning that it may have brought us, or just any intense feelings, because it's an intense movie. Very intense. Super, super intense. Lots of graphic, lots of noise, lots of dissonance. Ooh, Hannah, you think so? I sure do. Okay, so let's ease into this so can you explain what your relationship with scary movies is Sherilyn? sure when i was younger i would watch a lot of the saw movies oh wow okay so, how young are we talking when they came out i saw them in theaters i am 27 years old now so probably too young <laughs> and i think that that scarred me because i have since just like not been attracted to horror films really yeah I do love a good psychological thriller but not super into horror also I feel like I should mention I didn't just watch the Saw movies I also watched (laughs) The Grudge and The Ring ah so you did all of this neo horror genre that kind of resurged after all of those Japanese films Mm -hmm. started taking off yeah so you're like new generation okay so I skipped all that because I couldn't handle it when they were coming out. I was even a little older than you. I still couldn't handle it. Was not interested. Dude, I was so young. Yeah. And I don't know why my dad, I don't know. I guess I'm glad that I was able to watch pretty much whatever I wanted, but there's got to be a reason that I couldn't sleep at night and had to (laughs) check my closet and ran from the light switch to the bed. No kidding. (laughs) And it's crazy that the movies that you most associated with horror and grew up with were like torture porn movies. Mm -hmm. Because that's not all horror films. No, it's not. Growing up for me, I was such a little chicken. Like I couldn't handle the scary scenes in Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Like I knew exactly where to start fast forwarding and when it was safe to press play again. That's sweet. Yeah. So I'm Growing up, I I just couldn't watch a third of that movie. But then I, I grew up, you know, as one does. And my good friend Soto, who we will be interviewing a little bit later. We'll be talking to Soto. He's in love with horror films. And his passion really just did an osmosis job on me. And I have really come around to enjoying a great slasher flick and a really well done horror film. I really hope that I get to that point because I'll watch any movie, but I never seek out horror films. However, I did watch Hereditary in theaters when it came out. Oh my out. gosh, how <laughs> yeah. did you make that jump? Goodness. 
It was so weird because I was actually in Puerto Rico that summer. It was the summer that I spent two months there and it was the day before I left Puerto Rico. I'm about to get on a plane and go back to the States. Yeah, after what I assume was this very idyllic and romantic trip, this is how you choose to end. It's how I wrapped my trip up and I was wow. with my friend Fernando and I was like, Leah, let's go to the movies. I heard some interesting things about Hereditary and I just remember we walked out of the theater. We're both just silent walking through a mall eyes looking forward and (laughs) Fernando goes Sherilyn what the fuck (laughs) 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 and I was also just kind of like I don't know why (laughs) yeah and that's still kind of how I feel about the movie (laughs) sure that said I watched Hereditary alone that's bold I don't think you could pay me to watch a horror film by myself it was crazy also I watched it high which I think Hannah (laughs) I'm sorry if that offends any listeners here. Weed is tight, okay? And honestly, I think it helped soothe the part of me that would get super, super jumpy. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were still moments that were shocking and there were fireworks going on outside of my apartment for Memorial Day. Oh yeah, it's that time of year. And every time it went boom, my heart jumped out of my chest a little bit. That's interesting because in the movie Hereditary, there are no real jump scares. It's true. The whole movie is a slow fucking spook. It, it really is. And I loved that. I hate cheap scares. I hate when they just turn the sound lower and you're like, oh God, fuck, I know it's coming. I know it. I don't want to hear it. And then all of a sudden a loud noise and something shoved in your face. And that's not the ride that I ever am really interested in. Yeah. The thing that I hate is when the character's in the bathroom and they close the medicine cabinet and then the mirror it's like it's either there oh my god so Sherilyn okay spoiler alert we're gonna like talk details in this episode lots of spoilers so if you haven't seen it and you want it fresh come back to us once you've seen it and see how your opinions compare to ours but if you don't care or if you've already seen it then uh, continue listening with Abandon so that never happens in the movie where they close the medicine cabinet and all of a sudden something is behind them but as I was brushing my teeth I opened the medicine cabinet and I'm like I'm not closing this I'm gonna do all of my business and then when I close it I'm not going to fucking look in this mirror I was affected damn yeah, I'm I'm very excited to to dive into all the things. Okay, let's just start off with Hereditary, directed and, and written by Ari Aster. Mm-hmm. What else has he done? Same person who did Midsommar, or Midsummer, if you don't want to be pretentious about how you say it, even though it's spelled weird. It's a Swedish word, I think, mm, so mm-hmm. it's okay. So I didn't know much about this movie going into it. Good. Yeah, everyone I had talked to was very protective, which is rare, but... Everyone was very like, just go see it. All I'll say is I've seen it once. I liked it. I don't want to see it again. And then the only other thing I had ever heard is that it was not like Midsummer, which I tend to disagree with, actually. Oh, you think it was like Midsummer? I see similarities. Certainly, Midsummer is very bright all the time. So beautiful. So beautiful. And honestly, I thought Hereditary was also extremely beautiful. 
but it was total opposite side of the spectrum yes it's kind of i feel like how people compare uh jordan peele's us with get out it's like you can't really compare them and i don't think that people should because they're their own things but kind of like same vibe yeah the way that jordan peele's humor existed in both of those worlds and that sort of connected them stylistically I would say that the emotional journey and slowly continuously building to this emotional climax, Mm -hmm. that's what made it feel very similar to Midsommar to me. Yeah, it's a drawn out, slow, what the fuck. Yes. If I may put it so eloquently. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. You know, something else that really popped out to me, the score of the film throughout and how it continued to grow more and more dissonant until it was almost euphoric at the ending but I think that that's also a really close similarity I draw between Hereditary and Midsommar is this dissonant feeling ending in an almost eerie euphoria oh yeah eerie euphoria for sure Right off the bat, I'm assuming that if you're listening to this, it's because you've seen Hereditary, but if not, quick little rundown is it's about this family of four, two kids, husband, wife, the father is a psychologist, and Tony Collette's character, am I saying her name right? Yeah, Tony Collette, you did wonderfully. Tony Collette. And she's incredible. Throughout the movie, I just kept swooning over her performance and I thought wow what a beating (laughs) like damn this role is a lot I couldn't imagine having to live in this headspace throughout the entire film anyways Toni Collette did amazing her character makes these little dioramas of of houses and she kind of is like trying to make sense of her fucked up childhood uh, and her fucked up like upbringing because her mother and her entire family has physical and psychological diseases that are being passed down to the family. I think you touched on something interesting. I would say that her working on these scenes and imitations of herself and her dead mother and her kids and the car, I think you're right. It absolutely is attached to all of the tragedy that she had lived through, which comes out in that one support group meeting we see her go to. And I think it has to do with creating a sense of control over some things that feel very out of control, Mm -hmm. like mental health. Yeah, mental health is a huge, huge theme. The most obvious theme, for sure. The most obvious and literal theme. I will say, for me, the camera movement throughout the entire film was an incredible choice. Yeah, talk about that, because I don't remember that. Sure. So the film opens, I think, inside the mom's work studio, which is in this beautiful craftsman home. Mm -hmm. We're in this huge room, and the camera is slowly backing away from the open window. And then once it rests inside of the middle of the room, it slowly creeps around the entire room and then it notices the miniature of the house and starts to zoom slowly in to the son's bedroom and then it comes to a rest and then the scene plays as if they are living in the dollhouse. That really stood out to me 
And then just throughout all of the transitions, for example, I don't know if you remember this, Sherilyn, but when there would be a static shot of the house in broad daylight, and then all of a sudden it would cut and it would be nighttime, the exact same shot, but just instantly we've gone from day to night and it's startling and graphic and interesting. And there were just so many places where it was cut on shape where Mm. the shape of whatever we're looking at we cut and then that shape is revisited but in a different space or a different time and I and I love that I fucking eat that up I guess I really need to rewatch it because I don't remember I saw a different movie (laughs) I was fucking scared the whole time But I I guess sometimes the cinematography in a movie can be so good that you don't even realize it, if that makes sense. Sure. Unless it's really dramatic, I'm not thinking about the camera movements. But I'm sure if I were to rewatch it now, I would definitely notice that. Absolutely. And also I will say that I am the type of person that will close my eyes (laughs) if something is too intense in a horror movie. I will say that I made it through this entire thing and the moment, okay, big, big, big spoiler alert, when the decapitation happens, I backed up and watched that again. What? Yeah, I I was like, did I just see what I thought I saw? It was like my brain tapped out for a moment. That's the opposite of what I do. Oh my God. I wish I had someone next to my high ass that could laugh about this with me. How I had to be like, whoa, and rewatch that again. Which leads us to a scene that happens not long after that. One of the best monologues ever by Tony Kallett's character. Do you remember this monologue? When she's at the dinner table and she's like telling off the sun. Oh my God. That moment was so incredible i know you're in pain no that i that was an amazing amazing moment where she's trying so hard to be the compassionate mother but to also get across that she is not in a position to support him in his feeling bad about what happened because she is a grieving mother It was so moving and her rage felt palpable. I completely lost myself. I was absolutely in that moment and it felt so honest and so heartbreaking. Ugh. Yeah, that scene was doing its rounds on Twitter for a while. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They would quote a sentence from that in response to anything, uh, just whenever it was appropriate. (laughs) It became a meme immediately. (laughs) Yeah, it became a meme. And the son, okay, so I don't know his name. I think it's Nat Wolf. I think. Let me look it up. I'd believe you. I don't really know it. I just know that I recognize him from the new Jumanji movies, which I actually thought were really fun. I recognize him from being the Naked Brothers band on Nickelodeon in the 90s. What? I guess that was I guess that was 2000. Oh, okay, I was about to say yeah. the 90s. I feel like I was still around for Nickelodeon. Oh damn, he's 6'1", if you were wondering. <laughs> yeah, he's a tall boy. Also, interesting fact, I don't know if you know this, but in that one scene where he's being haunted in class. In the classroom? Oh my god. And he smacks his head on the desk haunting okay so i heard that he actually broke his nose on that take he was supposed to hit like a certain part of his face or he was it should be um pretended i don't know yeah basically you can smack your head softly against the table 
And with camera movements and some sound design, it'll look like you broke your nose. Right. That's how most people do it. But this kid, I heard, was like, I'm just going to go for it. And the director's like, okay, if you're sure. I don't know if that's actually his response. But he let him do it. And he went for it. And he actually fucking broke his nose. And they were like, uh, I don't know what to do. And he's like, you need to use that take because I can't do it again. I don't know if he said that, but uh, it makes sense. I would imagine. So it worked that he had the thing on his nose for the rest of the movie yeah truly his face look no offense to the actor great makeup but his face look fucked up in that scene and after like he looked possessed his eyes his face his hair his skin oh my god when he looks over at his reflection and it just gives him a creepy smile i hate that i hated that <laughs> hated that Okay, this would be a moment where if I wasn't high, I would I would hate this. I would have the same reaction you had, but because I was high, I was able to be a little more removed. Right. You know, what scene I was slightly removed from was definitely not the creepy smile, but when the husband just caught on fire when she burned the book, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and it was just like kind of funny to me for some reason. What was actually happening? What did you perceive was actually happening with this whole demonic stuff? Ultimately, what I think became apparent by the end was that the lady who had stopped her Mm -hmm. and was seemingly really great, who is also the aunt, whatever her name is, in Handmaid's Tale. I thought, oh, wow, that's interesting that she's playing this really helpful, nice lady. So (laughs) then at the end, I think it's revealed that she is actually working to bring forth Payman, right. this demon god. He needs to inhabit the body of a male. Yes, he needs a male host because he is a male spirit, I suppose. And so I basically got that she had gotten Tony Collette to call forth Payman mm-hmm. when she thought that she was bringing forth her daughter. I think she also brought forward this evil presence into the house. That's the moment that shit really opened up and there was no stopping it after that because from afar she was doing her own witchy things to help Payman along. Yes, I did a tiny bit of research and I found out that Payman is the king of hell so boom and he can grant you stuff apparently so that's some good motivation i think does he make it possible for this lady to connect with her grandson i don't know this is where it kind of loses me because i think that part of me is just like well i don't understand that kind of sacrifice with any religion let alone a demon but payment is obedient to satan So I don't really know how that all works. The hierarchy of these hell demons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's just make it clear. Payman is the assistant to the devil. He is not the assistant devil. Yeah. So Payman can still get shit done. He can still get shit. I'm saying he, but it's a spirit. But it is a male spirit. And she established that very clearly. Right. Okay. You can call it he. Females can be evil spirits too. (laughs) But in this case, we are not equality (laughs) hashtag feminism (laughs) so that was a bit confusing but in the end i was like you know what it's just a metaphor i think it's a metaphor for this crazy familial shit that is just passed down whether it be mental physical 
uh, emotional trauma. Totally. I I thought it was an incredible setup to talk about that phenomenon of mothers killing their children and themselves and kind of exploring a version of that that might make sense to people of how someone gets to that point. Yeah. Where do you have to be mentally for you to get there? And I think it's really difficult for any of us to imagine that unless you're possessed by an assistant to the devil. I mean, it's a mental illness. All of these things are mental illnesses, like Munchausen syndrome and Munchausen by proxy. And I think it's just difficult for people to process mental health issues. So we just got to blame it on Satan because we don't understand a chemical imbalance. Can we just talk about real quick the fact that the husband is a psychologist is he a psychologist i don't know he was right maybe it would make sense to me because he's extremely level-headed and very compassionate can you imagine having like a family like that with all these crazy mental health issues and then you marry a psychologist and then that shit goes down it makes sense that she would be drawn to him something that i was thinking about was like i wonder what their relationship was like when they first met. Were they young and happy and like going traveling the world? I just want to know what they were like. If we want to play that game, my guess is that they were probably younger and she was looking for home because her dad had already passed when she was super young and her mother seemed very controlling and critical and then there was all of that horrible business with her brother's suicide I think she was probably looking for stasis and support and love and he being a psychiatrist was probably looking for something to fix honestly yeah I don't know this was a bit triggering for me just because mental health is something that I think about a lot and has affected my family. Yeah. And is scary. I mean, obviously, this is so dramatic, but it does make you think. Yeah. In a way that sometimes I don't want to think about it that deeply. Yeah. More so, I think I'm just finding the parallels between our everyday life and trying to understand mental health versus this world where it explains those things through supernatural forces thought that that was what made the horror movie cool and it wasn't like some m night Shyamalan ending where it's like nope actually uh, she was just crazy the whole time which m night movie is that oh it's not anyone in particular but because i recently watched the happening Oh, uh uh-huh. And (laughs) was that a drag? Uh, No, I loved it. Really? I turned it into a musical. What? How? You know how the whole thing is stupid? (laughs) Well, if you just sing what they're doing, it's funny. (laughs) Zoe Deschanel and we're talking about The Happening Now and uh, (laughs) Marky Mark. Wow, I forgot Zoe Deschanel was in there. They have, yeah, no chemistry. And then there's like wind blowing (laughs) and it's killing people. And so every time the wind would blow, I would just be like, it's the happening. It's happening. <laughs> and I uh, just turned it into like a fun, fun time. Anyway. Oh, well, I wish I was there for that viewing of the happening. Gee, well, 
It's been a pleasure talking about Hereditary and sharing hot takes with you, Sherilyn. And I'm very excited to talk to Soto about it. He is right now working on directing a feature film that he has written called Weecho, and it is very much in that horror slasher genre. I think it's probably going to float somewhere between Hereditary and Nightmare on Elm Street. I love that movie because of him. But anyways, I am very excited to hear what he has to say about horror films and if he's seen Hereditary, what his thoughts are on it. Yeah, me too. I'm going to surround myself with pillows. Nice. That sounds comfy. So just in case we ever get commercials, stay tuned. <laughs> we'll be back soon with Soto. It's happening. <laughs> Soto, have you ever been interviewed before? Are you excited? Uh, this is hella exciting. And I use hella because I tried to say something cooler, but then I just froze. You caught me. You caught me at the wrong time there. I'm also hella excited. Hella it is. That's what the kids say. That's what the kids say in 2012. Oh, God. <laughs> That's probably true. Well, I'm going to introduce you real quick. Yeah, let's start us off. All right. We are so excited to introduce my dear, dear friend, Soto Gonzalo Soto Flores. He is a Luis? writer-director currently Luis? based... What did I say? Soto Gonzalo? Luis Gonzalo Soto Flores. Soto is a dear friend of mine. He's a writer-director currently based in Monterrey, Mexico. Not by choice, but true. He is currently working on a horror film called Weecho. Check it out. Yeah. And he is also a proud Corgi owner. Did I miss anything? Let's go with no. Let's go with no. <laughs> I want to go with something cooler, but that's it. That's it. That's everything you need to know about Soto. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reduced to those sort of traits. That's it. We're good. We're happy with that. And today he is acting as our resident horror film expert. This is true. And we are so stoked. Soto, can I ask, what makes you a horror film expert? Do you know what else go this way? Writing horror scripts and having to figure out what works and what doesn't work, you got to analyze and understand horror films. But between that, you know, you got to understand tropes and the structure and why things work a certain way. And to that end, you end up understanding what horror movies are about and why they tick. So uh, let's say I'm a quote-unquote expert in progress. A whip. That works. Okay, so rapid fire, what are your top five horror films? Let's go right away. Like, number one, obviously, Scream. That just marked me as a child. And, I mean, it was just very poppy and pretty. I think that's why I liked it. But it was also super scary for me. And Zingy. And witty and all those things just like you know i naturally gravitate to and then number two i want to say nightmare on elm street because those dream sequences incredible they are fantastic but it was just more like as a kid freddy was super scary to me and i really didn't like him it's a real boogeyman that one and so For sure. a boogeyman <laughs> aliens i love aliens mm. got strongest Heroine or just hero in general I've ever seen. So what are the final two? I mean, The Exorcist is fantastic. I'm going to go with that with number four. 
whether you're Catholic or not, or if you're secular, it's just, it's so well built and it's suspenseful to a, a nerving degree. Just like the entire exorcist sequence was just insane to watch now. And then when yeah, I watched it sure. as a kid, I saw it the first time on a Catholic retreat where... What? No, I know. Our, our, um, <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> what the hell? Our teachers... What? Teachers last priest show it to us, a bunch of 13-year-olds at a retreat, spiritual retreat, if you want to call oh it. Oh my God, they were using it as an educational tool? Yeah, far away from our homes. And it was fucking terrifying because you're also alone with your mom, so... That's traumatizing. <laughs> you want to teach Catholicism. The exorcist is the way to go. <laughs> Goodness. All right. And number five. Number five. Currently, I'll give it to Hereditary because that shit fucked me up. <laughs> yeah, it fucked me up too. Fucked me up. I was not expecting that at all. No, it fucked me up too. I'm pretty sure that's how I described it a lot, Hannah. Yeah. Not an enjoyable. I mean, it was so good, but also so terrifyingly awful to the watch. The parts where she's just like on the verge of panic attacks. Yeah. That shit is hard to watch. So hard to watch. Soto, I just want to ask you, what do you think makes a good horror movie? What do you love about horror movies? It's not the monsters. It's not the... I mean, it's just, it's the human element. You know, doing a little bit of research, Hereditary went through several production houses all the way from 2014. Took a long time. But one time it was with Danny DeVito out of all the people in the world. He was going to produce it. That would have been a different movie. <laughs> well, do you think so? But apparently he was on board with the ballsiness of the script. In the end, he didn't make it, but he passed it along to the people who did end up making it. But he shared a quote when they interviewed him about the movie. So this is Danny DeVito on Hereditary and Ari Aster. He says, horror usually comes from the inside of the person who makes it, whatever those fears are. Ari has a certain closeness to his work. Sometimes the real things that go on in your life are pretty horrific stuff. And so to that end, I think, yeah, like it's that human element of experience of things that you find injustice or a sense of lack of control. Yeah, I mean, honestly, lack of control to me is the biggest one. Joss about that, Nightmare on Elm Street about them, screams about that, like things you can't control will always be horror. But it's that human element in which you personally relate to that lack of control that makes it horrifying. The most successful horror films that we're having right now, Get Out, uh, Hereditary, uh, and again, Jordan Peele behind this and Ari Aster have been the guys who've been making the most successful horror films lately, or at least the ones that make a, a cultural impact is because they're preying on fears that are universal right now, either within the nation of the United States or within the world. Social causes and themes are right now what's driving horror. And I think it's a beautiful way to ride. Like even if it was the most financially successful horror film, it's, you know, again, a fear of clowns and whatnot. But it doesn't get, I think, as discussed as these other films that are actually discussing real horror in inventive and enticing ways. Do you want to also like kind of introduce Weicho, like the concept and how you came about it? The idea is basically about a demon that once you pray for him, he comes out and kills your bullies. And it's set in a private school in undisclosed California or, you know, wherever we get the financing. But <laughs> no. Wherever it is, it's, it's, it's from there. Again, it is about bullying, but the more we developed it, the more we realized it was about school shooting. 
and we angled it on that. And I think it's a fantastic, it's a terrible topic to discuss, but it's a fantastic thing to shed light on because all of these kids are frustrated about the lack of change and control there is over guns. And as well as nobody, you know, seeing this issue as something relevant or real. I mean, I think it's great that it just latches on to something bigger than us mm-hmm. and is able to contribute something. I think that right now is what horror is. And I think it's a fantastic approach. To it. Again, truly real horror is being timely on what exactly makes you be afraid. Boom. Bam. We're writing another horror film, which we're under wraps, but it does involve ghosts and a curse. Ooh, ghosts and a curse. You know, right now we're thinking maybe it's too many elements. Maybe we should just focus on one. But Ari Astor, to his credit, does an insane job juggling it all together. And, you know, let's talk about that sort of like structure. I mean, obviously spoilers, because we are going to talk spoilers here. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Spoilers, people. But uh, <laughs> so the whole film essentially ends on the idea that this was all part of a plan to bring back a demon that will generate wealth and riches to the family. You know, Paymon, which honestly sounds like Venmo to a degree. (laughs) A Venmo (laughs) transaction. Yeah. And it's really interesting, again, because he uses curses and ghosts and a slew of things that by the end will leave you overwhelmed. Yeah. And maybe even to that degree, the first reaction, like this doesn't mesh or this doesn't make sense to weave together. But even if it's like a plot device about how they have to kill the female to release the demon so you can go into the male host, it goes within the lines and the themes that he established from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that to me was just a masterstroke, you know, like that's sort of what we're juggling with ourselves and having that blueprint now, thanks to him. To me, it gives me a sight of relief. because I'm like, okay, so we're not doing too much. Yeah. You know, it's just about knowing how to place it. It's an insane movie. Like, I can't believe it also got snubbed at the Oscars. That's insane. I think it might have gotten the best screenplay nomination. Not sure. Excuse my ignorance, but do horror films win Oscars? You know what? They have. Get Out won best screenplay, and that was a milestone. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The Exorcism also, right? What? Uh, The Exorcist. The Exorcist got nominated. I don't think I'm... That's a good question. I'm not sure if it won or it didn't win. But I think it nominated for best movie. Was there anything specifically about the production of this movie that you think helped the film be successful? Production design, cinematography, acting, the detail, man. I mean, watching it, you feel just the amount of care on every single frame. There's a voice and a reasoning behind every single decision behind this film. And also essentially having actors have a world that clearly influences their acting. Just the fact that it felt like a miniature a lot of times to be fuddlingly great. Even the arrangement of books feels intentional on a bookshelf. That's insane to me. Mm -hmm. And exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) And exhausting, yeah. Call it a day. Put some books in there. Yeah, I think that's a good part about working with a team that you really vibe with. Oh, for sure. Were there any elements specifically that you thought added to the film? It has a book in beginning and end, which is we zoom in on the scale house and we're within the story. And then by the end, I'm pretty sure it's a model of the actual ritual that we end up mm. on. Oh, yeah. I think you're right. Right? Yeah. You know, the mom was so perfectionist on the way she was doing all this scale, like all these dioramas, that I feel like that lends onto the film itself. The world has a certain order and symmetry that alludes to that sense of control. That, I, I, I think, I'm, I, I might be grasping at straws, but 
it felt intentional. No, absolutely. I'm thinking about in that first shot when we are zooming into the dollhouse and we land in that wide very profile shot in Peter's room when dad enters and wakes up his son. Same with the moment when dad gets burned, when, when Annie throws the book into the fire, that was a very wide, very profile shot. Yeah. It looked like we were looking in on the dollhouse. Yeah. Yeah. And then being extremely close with all of the diorama pieces to make that look like it was just a medium shot in real life, but it's actually this extreme close-up on something very small. I agree. Scale was used an insane amount. Even just like dumb stuff, like a hallway felt endless the way they shot it, you know, with the right lens or whatever the fuck. But, you know, that's what distinguishes from a film that they had to get out in two seconds and make it for two mil and, yay, we made it. Made five mil and that's it. Call it a day. There was a beautiful design behind this one. Do you think that Hereditary was so damn scary because it had all these different elements to it, but it was kind of grounded in this reality that we're on board with? I think, yeah, they do an insane job of creating an incredibly compelling drama about the grieving process and how this woman lost her mother, but then also loses her daughter. She's at the tip of the edge. And then she finds someone she's relating to who's gone through the same process. You know, even on that scene, that specific seance scene, I think was just, let's just keep using this word, masterful. Because mm. first of all, the way Joan lures Annie, Tony Collette's character, it really stuck to me, the reaction of Joan when she sees her in the supermarket. And she's, she's joyous because she found this way to connect with her grandson. Obviously, it's the master plan. But right, right. You don't see that often in horror that they actually find a supernatural occurrence and instead of basking in terror about it, they are like basking in joy. And then having the outsider, which is Annie, who's in disbelief entirely, brought in and have her reacting in a way that she can't find a single point of grounding. You know, she's flailing. It's a great juxtaposition of somehow being insanely happy that you found a way to talk to your grandson And somebody who's on the outside, unable to understand or cope with the process. It's like a pretty natural reaction, I think. I would have a similar reaction if someone came up to me saying that, you know, if I were mourning. And I love what you were saying about how she was flailing and she didn't have anything to ground her. And I think that that was a really interesting commentary on mental health. When you are kind of at the edge of a manic something or a depression something you have to have some sort of touchstone of like okay but this is reality you have to have something you can come back to and when you lose that when you all of a sudden see that the glass moves and there actually is a ghost then everything that you were leaning on for support is taken away from you and then you are absolutely in a free fall into whatever mental state you were trying to avoid another great sequence alex wolf's character peter the son basically trying to rush charlie to the hospital Mm -hmm. and the decapitation happens He's so shocked about it and unable to process it that he goes and just lays down on his bed. And then we stay on his face and we hear the reaction of Annie finding 
her daughter's body on the back seat. Yeah. And then just an uninterrupted wailing all the way up to when she buries her daughter. I mean, honestly, that's what got me like my stomach in knots. I couldn't handle it. It was totally. way too much at that point. And see, that's that to me was real horror. Yeah. Ugh. That was the type of horror we don't usually dig into because it's not fun. Right. A movie that was actually trying to understand that. It's a milestone on itself. So I think that was just great. Fantastic. <laughs> there was no comic relief. No. Was there? I'm trying to remember if there was anything that made me even slightly chuckle to myself. No. Well, see, even the moments where the characters were at a levity point, like Annie in this happiness, bringing her family, trying to have them contact Charlie in the seance, and they're utterly baffled and scared and shocked and just upset. I think even Annie says, this is supposed to heal us. And in a Spielberg movie, they would have ended with them holding hands and hearing Charlie's voice that she's fine and they can move on. And this one, it rips them apart even more. Put into perspective, Poltergeist. Like Poltergeist, a whole I movie was just going to about... say, Spielberg did one horror movie. It was Poltergeist. Yeah. Well, allegedly, Toad Pooper did it. But the whole mythology is that Spielberg was the producer, but always behind the camera at the same time. But look, they also had a child, right? And she was stuck in another dimension. And... The whole point of view of that film is super hopeful throughout the whole thing. Never watching that was I like, well, this kid's going to die. I'm like, no, she's going to come back at the end. Like, duh. I'm not scared of that. I was scared of tables and chairs for so long after watching that movie. <laughs> See, but even that is presented in a lightweight fashion. When she grabs the kid and puts her in a spot where the chair slid and then she slides... And the kid's like, oh, you know, yawning, like, oh, what's for breakfast? It's just hilarious. No, totally. I definitely see how they utilized humor in situational situational situations to create levity and to, like, lighten the mood a little bit to let the audience breathe. And there was very little of that in Hereditary. I think there was none. I mean, the horror was just that you were living in it. That's why Get Out won the Oscar. Even yeah, Get Out had like the funny best friend who's like, you know, oh, this woman's... That's know. why Midsummer was great too. Yeah, Midsummer had levity. Because of that one, that actor that I love, that British guy. Um, I forget Oh, his with name. the crazy eyebrow guy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that guy, yeah. Name, but I do love him. I thought he was so obnoxious in that he movie. Was. I hated oh, that sure. character so he much. Was. I was waiting for him to pee on this stupid ritual <laughs> stick and get killed because he deserved it. And he does. He was asking to be number one killed. He was the goofy one. He that was douche. goofing off. Yeah, he was the douche. He was going to be first. Zoinks, yeah. Right? Soto, so like, let's talk about tropes. Tell us about them tropes. So I think one that was really cool was essentially the advertised extra they call it which is the marketing putting emphasis on one character only to upend that expectation it's been done a lot in horror all the way back to psycho when janet lee was advertised as the leading lady only to have her get 30 minutes in yeah amazing scream the pinnacle of examples if anything because you know all the marketing was drew barrymore and you're like okay drew barrymore's in this She's going to survive. I fucking love that story so much. And it's insane. Like, because, you know, people went to the movie theater and, (sighs) again, 15 minutes in, she's gutted to death. And it's like anything goes after that. I think that's a fantastic way to set off expectations and 
like pull the rug under your feet and just let you free fall into this experience thinking, I don't know what's going to happen next. What a great tool for a horror film. And apparently they call this the decoy protagonist, which is all of the promotional material for the movie sets up such a person as a major character and presumably the cause of the film. And then boom, it ain't. So cool. It ain't. (laughs) Originally, A24 focused on Charlie as being sort of a otherworldly child sort of creating the havoc in his family. Wait, that one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That one. And so you go into this movie watching those trailers. You're like, okay, well, it's going to be a scary kid movie. And you build your idea behind it. 30 minutes in, she's decapitated. And you're like, holy shit. Like, okay, so what exactly am I watching then? You just get the air knocked out of you. Yeah, I mean, because you don't expect that at all. Right. That I thought was fantastic. Also, can we just pause really quick on this note? Because I love good movie marketing. And I feel like there needs to be a focus on upping the game for a lot of this. What do you think is good movie marketing? Give me an example. This. Good movie marketing to me tells you what tone to expect and it tells you what genre of movie to expect but it doesn't give away the climax of the film and only leave the very end for you to know i just feel like for the most part there's a formula that all of these houses use to pump out marketing for movies as quickly as possible and I just really appreciate when the filmmakers are involved or when the marketing team is really smart and uh and ballsy if you'll allow me to say that sure you can say balls the balls (laughs) and so yeah I just appreciate when risks are taken and you get a real fresh experience when you go to a movie theater yeah here's another one it's called checkups armory A checkup's gun is an item introduced before it's use. Let's say an example here. Uh, Okay, so aliens, the power loader. They introduce it before because later on, Ripley's going to fight the queen alien with it. Sure. Checkup's armory is when the writer uses several, and in some cases uses too many checkup's gun, not all of which are painfully obvious. So we begin the film and she's looking down at the boxes of the mom, everything she left behind. And it's really interesting, though, because she leaves a note that says that all our sacrifice will pale to the rewards we'll get. So I think that's a great clue. And there's been slight clues that Joan might be related to Ellen, which is the mom of Tony Collette. That she might be related to her? Well, like that they share the past. Oh, okay. Remember that she says like, oh, my mom used to make those. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. The welcome mats. And if you notice, there's a necklace that she wears that you see on the grandma on her dead body. Yeah, and it's like that's the symbol that they paint on. Yeah, I missed that. Really, it was like all over the film. I mean, I eventually started to recognize it, especially once we saw it inside of the book or whatever. Can I tell you a secret place that it's also located? Yeah. It's on the pole that she gets decapitated with. What? I heard that. I didn't see it. So that, what, is supposed to tell us that it was all constructed? I don't know. You know, yeah, so they wanted her to decapitate. I don't know if in that specific pole, but apparently, yeah. 
Well, I mean, I guess I would say that the deer was very well placed. Yeah. <laughs> was that a deer? Yeah, I, I went back and rewatched that moment. Because she's fucked up. And it was some, some sort of animal. Well, and then they also had to be the ones who like chopped the nuts into the cake. and. Right. I'm, there's just a lot going on there. Also, I have a friend with a deathly nut allergy. And he doesn't go anywhere where there's communal food without an EpiPen. And that bothered me a lot because it's apparent that it's a deathly allergy that they are aware of. They should have had an EpiPen. That's all I'm saying. I totally agree with you. But at the same time, it's interesting because you could double down on that because she's also said that almost like there's a deep yearning of not wanting the kids because remember that mm. she sleepwalks and apparently all covered them in paint. Yep. Yeah. What do you call paint dryer thinner, uh, paint thinner? Paint thinner. Paint thinner. Some, something to kill them. And if she was going to like light them all up, you know, it might just be like an unconscious thing to not care enough or don't remember enough. Because the mom was fucked up, like very. Yeah. A lot, a lot of issues. But okay, going back to the checkups armory though. So the box at the beginning, that everything that the mom left behind, she goes back to it at the end to try to make sense of everything and find that they had the family targeted. This is the thing where I was like, well, this is a little like, what would you photograph the entire cult (laughs) venerating this photo of our family? Like, I just, why would you do that? Besides providing us, the audience, with a visual clue. Because I see no reason to... Oh, what a great memory. Yeah. Hey, remember that one time? Can we you were- imagine the cult gathering together? Like, all right, everyone, let's take our photo. For yeah, the- turn, your back, <laughs> the turn your back, turn your back. Yeah, like, <laughs> I just like, are the heights good? Because, you know, like, looks spooky. hunch over, so it looks spooky. <laughs> that was just, that to me felt jarring. Why would a cult yeah. take a photo? Maybe for the sake of just like any religion, just documenting and... See, that's the thing. Could be as well. But to me, that was a, the one time I was like, rookie move, and I get it because I've been there too. But that's also <laughs> kind of awesome to know all sorts of filmmakers, whether it's Spielberg or Ari or even Craven, use sometimes those methods to get their point across, even if it doesn't quite feel natural. Mm-hmm. It's a nice little thing to know. That you can, yeah. let's say, quote unquote, slip up for the sake of bringing something across. For a little more context. Yeah. Because we needed some context. I will say I did like the moment when Annie found the photos and then some image was upsetting to her and she couldn't look at it any farther. And so she closes the book and we know that there's an issue with seeing these pictures about her daughter. There's some sort of pain there. She found out that none of... What she was trying to control was within her machination. She was actually a part of a bigger thing that she had no control over, which also, again, just blends beautifully with the whole idea of hereditary. You can't control it. It's just inside of you. And one way or another, it's going to come out of you. Her saying, like, I never wanted you, like those things. Oh, in her dream, that was intense. It cuts you up because it's just humans. It's truly scary to imagine having some sort of disease or mental illness in your family that you, you literally control. can't escape from. Yeah, and we were yeah. we were actually talking about that aspect of control. This idea that we should have control, this idea that if we don't have control, that's what makes us insane. These kinds of ideas about mental health that we hold yeah. in our society where it's like we should be responsible 
for our mental health in a way that is not possible for many people. And we were talking about how her being so interested in the miniature modeling as being this outlet for her to experience control, control in her life. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And then she just obliterates the whole thing. It's almost like the one thing she had. Right. No longer under her grasp. Yep. Going into a little personal note, I, th- I mean, it was just really odd to have this movie happen this week as well, because last week something set me off uh, that sent my anxiety into dry, like it just exploded inside me and, It's been interesting trying to rein it back in. Thankfully, since last September, I finally went to a therapist. I got medication. I think it's fantastic. But there are moments when it's just this thing that I've been wrestling with, which is, again, as you said, control. And watching this film, I mean, I'm thinking that just added to the whole experience because, you know, you tell your parents, you're like, dude, I'm going through this. And let's say my parents are not very much uh, invoked with mental illness. They think it's, you know, one of those like suck it up kind of thing. You're experiencing something internal that is, they can't can't externalize. You you can't like grab inside and pull out or, you know, just hold on to. And you tell people and most of them are like, it's all in your head. And it's like, I agree. It is, but it's not still real. It's still real, but it's probably chemical things happening inside that I can't control. And my body is currently adjusting. It's very interesting watching this film and having a character that's clearly going through something that she can't control. And the husband, it's so sad to see him that in the end, like even he gives up before she throws that notebook that ends up killing him into the fire. That's why I probably won't watch this movie again. Maybe not for yeah, a very long time. It's a hard watch, yeah. Because it didn't feel cathartic. I'm like, so no. there's no hope for anyone. Yeah. No, yeah, it's definitely hopeless. It's absolutely a horror version of all of these anxieties about mental health. And yeah. actually, Soto, I love that you brought up that moment because that was the moment in the movie where I actually got emotional when he was about to do this for her because he had been supportive and he had been compassionate to the point where he thought he was helpful in helping her gain stability and at this moment where she is literally so far on edge that he can't see how helping enable this charade as he sees it as a healthy step for her that was really heartbreaking for me because she needed him the most at that moment. Could you blame him? No, absolutely not. There was no earthly way to be able to explain it. And she knew that. But that's yeah. the horror of having these mental issues is not being able to be understood by those who you need the most help from. On all sides, I agree, because the dad had a breaking point. And also before this, she found the mom's body in the attic. And he sees it as well, right. but then he thinks that she did it right. and he broke. And I think it's legitimate. I mean, he has all the right because he had been supportive and it was just too much. It's also a commentary on how we see yeah. the same consequence, but we don't understand how we got there, you know? Yeah. And it does become a thing where we blame the you know, quote unquote victim in the situation yeah. Yeah. for not having more self-control or not being able to handle it like 
a quote unquote normal person yeah yeah now I'm glad this transitioned into a conversation about mental health because I was really looking for some sort of silver lining in all of this I can see how her going through these mental health issues is a metaphor or payment can be a metaphor for our capitalist society (laughs) you know because he gives us all of our riches and it truly is such a strong force that apparently no one has any control over and they can't do anything and that is kind of how it feels like when people are trying to deal with mental health issues you know so many factors i was gonna say because i know that i read a theory and it says that the film has been interpreted as a supernatural allegory for late 2000s early 2010s economic woes and generational conflict. Ellen, an elderly woman, deliberately engineers the ruining and ultimately the end of the lives of her own children and grandchildren, all in the name of wealth and worldly pleasures for her band of similarly aged friends who suffer no punishment whatsoever, having rigged things in their favor for decades. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah, that feels super political and economically relevant with millennials versus baby boomers. boomers. Yeah, wow. Damn, I didn't even go there. (laughs) I mean, neither did I. I mean, I ended the movie, I'm like, okay, yay payment, I guess. But it's like, okay, that makes sense. Yay payment, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 that, that crazy almost triumphant ending since the only actual living person is the payment is yeah joan and payment well that's also interesting though because it's essentially the same ending as midsummer as as far as it ends with the shot of a character looking straight at the camera in this case in grief because i'm thinking maybe there's a bit of peter still in there trapped with payment and charlie now is in there as well Mm -hmm. that ending is about stuck like they're stuck in that body and then you watch midsummer and i don't know florence puck's character's name from the top of my head but she ends up crowned as a queen of this cult Mm -hmm. and releasing all her grief and depression and finally smiling and that to me weirdly enough watching that movie i was like well good for her you know it's (laughs) It's a psychotic I was too. Breakdown. I was like, your whole family's dead. Sure, this is your new family. Why not? And also, your boyfriend <laughs> treats you like shit, so... So melt him. Fuck him. Like, the whole thing, I was like, well, I mean, she's smiling. I mean, yay. Like, God. Also, I mean, jumping a little bit into Midsummer, but oh my God, that scene when she's in the living quarters and she's surrounded by all the women there and yeah. they're literally matching her sobbing finally connecting with her and her pain. Never seen that before. Never probably will see again. It's just so good. And it's an evil force, but somehow you're like, oh, wow, they're actually helping her. So I don't know how I feel about this. I'm pro-Swedish cult. I'm great. Like, how happy? (laughs) Me too. But wait, hold on real quick. She was reacting to seeing her boyfriend sleeping with that girl in the middle of the flower, like right that's right thank you for that context because it's been a minute since i've watched and i did forget what it was that she was reacting to yeah she was definitely reacting to her boyfriend being drugged and and basically boning that other swedish girl surrounded by all of the other matrons oh i wouldn't say he was being drugged i think they were doing a mild dosage of lsd or something he was totally in control well he was sort of like out of that bit yeah yeah but he was he wanted to do it he did but (laughs) but he was drugged (laughs) that old day was just like 
grabbing his ass cheeks. <laughs> oh my god, that was and wild. Like, no, you're doing a great son. Keep going. <laughs> I forgot about that. It was a little out of it for sure, yeah. Okay. Wow, I don't remember. I guess I just hated him so much. <laughs> yeah, no, me too. I was like, oh. Sure. And it's like, yeah, he was a weak person and so not attractive. But anyways, the moment that you were talking about with everyone heaving and that being emotionally satisfying for you, mm-hmm. I had a very different reaction that I'd like to really? share. Yeah, I felt a little outside of it. First of all, it didn't feel super comforting to me because it, it, it was simulated at first. They were yeah. just physically simulating her heaves and sobs it felt strategic it didn't feel Uh, sympathetic or empathetic to me so there was this weird dissonance to Mm. it and then on top of that because of the excessive wailing on top of Florence's character's actual grief and sadness I kind of stepped back from the movie a little bit and was like this is such a weird acting exercise (laughs) you know and like I was just thinking about what the energy must have been like on that set for these actors it's like (laughs) we just have to indulge in this weirdness anyways that was my reaction to that scene and I totally agree with your point by the way it in the context of it it does sound manipulative and it probably is manipulative it's also very (laughs) interesting because hereditary has a scene where the mom's doing the uh diorama I guess of her daughter's murder scene mm-hmm. and the dad walks in it's like what are you doing yeah. how do you think peter will react to this and she's like dude it's a neutral point of view nobody's taking sides here this is neutral and it's it's interesting because th- that line sticks to midsummer like right now we're having a conversation about something that puts i wouldn't say a shield but definitely like a threshold i guess like whereas you're watching but you're not entirely with the character in a personal level Ari keeps it detached enough for you to make up your own judgment in a neutral position. It, mm. it seems to be going through his work. You know, it's you take the position you want and you make whatever you want out of it. I love that. Yeah, I agree. I think it's all about playing with perspective and yeah. how when you look at it from any perspective you want, it has a different meaning. There you go. Like the economic angle. It totally makes sense. Right. And the whole thing about it being a mental illness also makes sense. So that's insanely layered. To an absurd degree. <laughs> Kudos to the movie because that I was not expecting it to be a two-hour, just <laughs> utterly <laughs> experience. Yeah, yeah, I know, me too. I'm like, damn, come on! Like, I don't want it to end because it's really good, but Jesus. Yeah, some sort of relief would be. <laughs> nice. Where's the derpy policeman? I was like, lady, you're crazy. There's no ghost. That's what I needed. I needed yeah. a derpy police officer. Or some sort of goofy... Where's the punchline joke? Out of the blue, like, you know, ah, did you put nuts in that again? Like, none of that. (laughs) I agree. Wonderful follow-through. Well, Soto, thank you so much for joining us this morning. This was so much fun. I love it. More, please. By the way, anybody who wants to learn about tropes, check out tvtropes.org. And it's like, you know, any movie you can think of, they deconstruct it. Ooh, I want to look into that. It's so good. Every time I, I can't go to bed, I just go on there. <laughs> just like start <laughs> analyzing all the moves. All right. Thanks so much. Love you. Thank you, guys. Talk later. Bye. Bye. I used to like get up.
out of the shower and let my hair drip over my face and just scare my sister. <laughs> right? That's the ring? That's the ring, yeah. That's awful. I'm just remembering that when we talked about Hereditary, I said the wrong wolf brother. I believe I said Nat Wolf, and it's Alex Wolf. I think you did, yeah. And I would just like to formally apologize. <laughs> different brother. Different brother. So, welcome to the last segment of the show. Yes, a big sigh of relief for Hereditary's wrap-up. Finally getting this shit over with <laughs> i guess i just want to say real quick yeah girl real quick say it well we already know this horror movies are not totally my jam for someone who grew up watching the ring and the grudge and all the saw movies maybe i just exhausted that part of my desire to watch scary shit i wonder if if it was like overload and so you weren't ever able to come at it, at, le- at least not yet. I won't say never. But for me, I came to horror movies when I was ready for horror movies. And right. I knew mentally what I was entering into, so to speak. Maybe I'll get there. I just feel like the movies that I enjoy watching right now are either I want to laugh my ass off. I want to learn something. I want to feel something, preferably on the good side. And I just feel like I didn't get anything out of that movie and sometimes that's okay I don't know I just didn't necessarily love what I felt and that could be cathartic for some people maybe I mean I've heard some people say that it has to do with us practicing enduring these feelings in a safe space where we know we're not actually going to get attacked or possessed so that if it should ever happen sort of thing we would be prepared at least mentally yeah I agree with that and I just would prefer to go on a run (laughs) if I want to feel something (laughs) yeah sure it it is a certain personality thing especially in this time the time of COVID-19 where to add anxiety by choice maybe some people can do that and make themselves feel better like oh well at least it's not as bad as hereditary yeah (laughs) but you know then other people are like if I don't have to feel more anxiety or stress or fear then why why the heck would I you know yeah if it's a choice I agree I gotcha I'll watch probably all of Ari Aster's movies just because I gotta (laughs) but it's not something that I seek out it's a little heavy in the end nobody wins (laughs) but Payman, Payman won. Who who wins though? I mean, that's fine. That's why it's a horror movie. Right, right. <laughs> I just like movies that give me a little bit of hope. Is that so wrong? No, but this is also not the movie for you. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, really, the the story does not shy away from how intensely this would affect a family. I can't say I fully enjoyed it, but I thought it was done very well, and I was certainly along for the ride. But yeah, it's not a feeling I want to feel all the time, that's for sure. I have a feeling that I'm going to have some more thinking to do on this one, because something just ain't sitting right with me. And I know that, I don't know, you can can tell. I can tell. I'm like, there's something deeper here, and I want to get to the bottom of it. Maybe it's nothing, but I don't think it's nothing deeper in the sense of like you feel like you should be taking something from the movie or what yeah 
Yeah, maybe. Or just like, I want to know why, why did we need to watch this fucked up movie? (laughs) (laughs) You know? I don't know. Yeah. I guess I just have some more thinking to do about my feelings towards horror films in general. Okay, so yeah, meaning. For me, it was a very heavy movie. I'm glad Soto mentioned his anxiety for a second. And he brought up a good point that the true horror is watching someone not being able to escape this mental hell that they're in. Lots of people that experience anxiety or depression or have mental health issues in their family, you know that that's just such a scary thing. And it's so difficult to deal with when you're dealing with it with people that you love. And when you don't have any control, that really is a true horror. Hereditary was a very intentional, well-produced, greatly performed film. I agree. For me, this was absolutely a successful horror film. Artistically, performance-wise, everything added toward a very meaningful, interesting, very scary film. And even though it's hard to call it enjoyable to watch. I thought because it was a well-made film, it was worth the watch. Ultimately, I give it four and a half pooped pants out of five. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's a scale. That's a scale I created for this movie. (laughs) Cool. Out of five. Yes. I don't like using scales because I feel like it's so difficult for me to pick out of five stars. I'm like, I don't understand how this is a qualitative thing and I don't (laughs) know how to judge it. Those damn gold stars. We should just create a specific scale for each movie. I love that. So my scale would be out of, hmm, maybe out of 10. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is just based on how much I enjoyed it. I would say six. Six pooped pants. And I I know that if you're judging this as a a letter grade, that would technically be a D, which doesn't sound good, but I want to say that six pooped pants is actually pretty good. It sounds excellent. Just reminding you that it is a scale of pooped pants and not stars, (laughs) so it's still bad it's still not good right it's it's bad the whole way but if i'm gonna shit my pants i might as well do it six times (laughs) there's no logic to this scale and we're still working on it and it's gonna change every time so this is just the first one glad we came up with that little system (laughs) okay well i don't know we watched hereditary so what did you think and it's okay if you have a different scale than us Yes, your scale is just as welcome as ours. Let us know your thoughts on Instagram at We Live in a Film Society and follow us on Titter. Ooh! <laughs> I accidentally said Titter. <laughs> well, that was the first one. First try. That was the first one. All right. <laughs> uh, glad I got that out of the way. <laughs> All right, let me go again. Go ahead. And follow us on Twitter at Live Film Society. If you were as tickled by Soto as we were, you can find him at Epic Soto on the Instagram. And be sure to follow his progress on WeChoke. We know that this episode was actually a bit heavy and we talked about mental health and family stuff. So we've linked a couple resources if you or anyone you know and love is suffering from mental health issues check it out stay healthy everyone and stay in good spirits and stay connected it's been a wild ride we love you and we'll see you next week can't wait 
Bye, everyone. Bye. It's the happening. It's happening. It's supposed to sound like Alanis Morissette a, a bit. The happening. It's happening.